Welcome back to the Building a Fighter Podcast. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. What up, dude? Well, not a whole lot. Just chilling, drinking my coffee. It's running beautiful, on coffee. Beautiful Sunday morning. Awesome chilling, drinking coffee. Fighter mugs. He's all about it. Rubbing it in my face. Yep, I haven't sent to Alex's yet. I want to be the cool kid for a little bit. Um, but today, let's talk about some heart rate straps. We're going to talk about wearables, and we're going to talk about how we can train our body using technology in a more efficient manner. So, Alex, why do you love your heart strap so much? Well, you have a love affair. It gives us like real actionable data. Um, we can objectively get some numbers on what we're actually training, what's the intensity, um, how hard are we actually working. We we will just have, we put a scale on the map, right? Because before you have any heart rate or if you don't have any wearable or anything that's happening, you're sort of, sort of guessing as far as like, how hard am I working? Where's my heart rate? Am I recovering, etc. You can get a general feeling for that. And, and that's not the worst in the world. I think you can accomplish a lot of good training like that. But once you have a heart rate strap, once you have some actionable numbers in front of you you can actually see what's happening and put some some numbers and then over time they just get more and more reliable um there's a lot of cool places you can go with just tracking your heart rate either chronically or during your workout sessions but for me it just it introduces a scale of reference and i think that's one of the most important things so extremely low barrier of entry way to start putting metrics to your training right it's i think it um hold on i pulled it up it is to buy a heart strap and it'll give, and that'll essentially be able to be used for two to three years, probably have to replace the battery every six months. But for the most part, that's an extremely low barrier of entry to put on all these different metrics of, Hey, we get to track what heart zone you're in while you're training. So that's going to make our training a little bit more specific to what it's doing. We can track a general amount of calories that you're burning per session. We can track to see how well you can recover session and after every single bout of intense exercise um we can track it's it's got a gps tracker if you're doing it for running so you can actually track how long you're going and all these different the polar straps for the price that they're at and not just polar but i use polar personally for the price that they're at it doesn't make sense for every mma athlete not to get it at a 70 dollar price point and so going off that all the all the the kind of tools, the utility that we just listed for the Polar Heart Race Strap or for a Heart Race Strap, what are your top one, two, or three things that you start to measure or you start to pay attention to once we get a Heart Race Strap, Austin? My first thing I pay attention to is just the graph. So when you get into the Polar Beat app, it's not the first one if you pick running, but it's going to be the second one that you slide on over to. So I can see where you're at, what zone you're in, um, and if you're in the UFC or you, you have access to different testing, then you can actually find personalized zones for maybe you're in your zone four, which is going to be a little bit like it's your 60 to 80 percent intensity. You can be in your zone five, which is going to be your red zone, but we can track metrically or we can actually track to see how hard you're training from an aerobic state. This doesn't necessarily translate over to some of the strength metrics, but when we're looking in a conditioning setting, this is invaluable as a coach because I get to see where you're at and I can make adjustments on the fly to better suit you as the athlete. 
So it's almost real-time feed. The second thing I track, say it's going to be a weight, like a, it's a harder weight cut, even if it's not 100% accurate, I get to see close to the amount of calories that you're burning per session. If you're using the app, you have to put in your height, weight, age, all these different things. It's not going to be 100% foolproof. There's going to be some wiggle room. But if you're having a hard weight cut and I can put numbers onto how many calories you burn, that can help your dietitian. That can help uh, if you're using a nutritionist. That can help your meal prep person to see how many calories you burn in an average session or in an average day, and then add that on top of your resting metabolic rate. And then from there, we can pinpoint how much of a calorie deficit you need to be in to move forward. This is something that, while it's not, like I said, foolproof, this is the best we have right now for the price point. Um, and then the third thing that I really like to see is the percent. Like I, I have my athletes wear it during sparring. I wanna see the percent, which is gonna graph over, of red zone that you're going to be in. So if you're in a sparring day and you're in the red zone for all 15 minutes of a fifth of three, five minute rounds, I know that's a problem, right? Like, and if you're not able to recover all the way down, I have the lowest barrier of entry is 40 beats per minute in on the stool. If I can't see that you can go from 180 to 140 on the stool, then I know personally that that needs to be a point of emphasis in your training because we can train you to recover better. We can train you to be more adapted to that one minute of recovery time. And that's only going to benefit you through your career and going into the next round. Yeah. And, and a lot of those numbers that you get back are going to be super individualized. Like that's one of my favorite thing to, to see. And it's one of the benefits that we get when we run our group sessions is we have three or four people that have heart rate monitors on and they could be reacting very differently to the training that we put in front of them to the intervals that they have, right? Based on, you know, how they metabolize, where their resting heart rate's at, what's their um, individual skill. So that's, I think, a huge thing you brought up is getting your individualized zone numbers, which I know is not applicable to everybody. But in finding those individual numbers, that's the first thing I like to look at when an athlete comes in or has a heart rate strap on is like, I get to see kind of how they operate. Like, are they quick to fire? Like, do they go straight to the red on the warm up, or are they a slow burner where they never quite even can touch the red because they're a grinder because they have that mentality or they have that that type of training put in them? So, I like to look at individual responses, and then you can grade that as a reference over time. We always talk about to, like assess, don't guess, right. and that right there is the primary example of you need to assess first. Like we yeah. need to, if we can find your ranges, we fucking know what you need to work on. Like I've had, I've had athletes in the past that their zone four is three beats, three fucking beats. Well, no wonder why we can't train in that zone because that's such a, and obviously that's plus or minus two. So we'll say seven beats, but still it's, it's really hard to stay within that range. And unless yeah. you get tested, if you're using just a standard polar, the, just the standard zones, that's going to be about 15 beats. So that's five times of, of what this athlete was dealing. So then from there, obviously we can't get as accurate of training. So this is where if you have the availability, if you have the, um, if, if I guess if you have the monetary means to get tested, or if you're in the UFC to go get tested by Roman and, and get your different zones dialed in, that's going to be crucial because then you know where you can be fat burning, where you're going to be in that oxidative state. You know where you are going to be and where your aerobic threshold is. You know where your high zone, your zone five is, and where you can really push to hit that maximal exertion. And then we also, on top of all of this, know what we can do to drop your resting heart rate, which is a metric that we try to track through camp to make sure you're getting more fit. We know where it can can we expand 
and make your zone or your zone four bigger because that's going to allow you to not fatigue as fast. And that's what I was going to say too. That'll be really interesting to see once you spend some time trying to target that heart rate zone that's, you know, only three or four beats. Um, it'll be the interesting, and this is the largest value that I see as a strength coach in the polar heart rate, is you can see changes over time, right? Yep. So as you try and target that heart rate for this athlete, over time, you get to the next workout and you're like, we did a relatively the same routine, right? But how is your body adapting to it? You can check and see, are you spending more time in that zone? Is that zone kind of getting bigger? Like that's the, the real true value because we run four week blocks, right? And we want track the heart rate in week one versus week four. And you might well be looking at two completely different graphs for some athletes, right? Like some athletes on week one, they're going to spend, you know, eight, seven, eight minutes in the red and, uh, and their valleys are going to maybe get to their zone three. And then you come back to week four, they did the same, if not more work, but they only spent two or three minutes in the red and then their recoveries get all the way back to zone one, right? So the, we get more efficient at getting to the higher intensities and then we get more efficient resting, which is ultimately the end goal on, for me, on a lot of the heart rate measurements. Show metrics to show that you're getting physically fit and that you're able to withstand what you're putting your So what's cool is uh, one of my athletes, she's working with a new company. They're honestly pretty called First Beat. And I can go in there and I can literally put little markers on her sparring sessions where I know like, hey, this is her round two. And I can label her sparring sessions. And then we can track based off that tag over time through the camp. Hey, this is what she was doing in round one on this day. And then six weeks later, this is where her heart rate was on round one and the end of the camp and her last sparring session and show where her heart rate is as you go through. Is there any changes? Are we able to show that she's able to stay more composed? Are we able to show? And obviously rounds differ, right? There's a lot of variables. Maybe it might be a striking round versus a grapple, like whatever it may be. But for the most part, it's cool that I have the ability to track based off tags and put graphical analysis of, hey, this is the average heart rate in week one of camp versus round one in week seven of camp and does that change benefit my app right and and i think that's huge tracking those numbers over time but another thing you mentioned austin was the the resting heart rate and tracking that over time seeing if that's getting an athlete more fit throughout their camp um resting heart rates like austin said are a good general measure of whether you're fit you want to see like low 50s preferably if you're in really good shape under 50 um and that's again just walking around the house just watching tv like i have my watch on right now and mine's at 60 because I just chugged a cup of coffee. So also I'm unfit. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, you want to track that over time. The next one, and this goes back to what Austin was talking about with sparring. When we are looking at that minute heart rate recoverability, that's one of the biggest um, metrics that the PI have locked in and have a lot of data on. So you have a lot of reference numbers for that, right? So we can get that one minute heart rate recoverability score. We can determine if that aerobic fitness is something that we need to work on whether it's in or out of camp because your recoverability during bouts of high intensity exercise is actually determined by your aerobic fitness right by your ability to keep going so that's yet another argument to really train aerobic fitness outside of camp um and then thing about the heart strap is that you can use it to dictate your breathing based off what we're just going Further down, like it, for that minute of recoverability, there's so many different ways to breathe, right? There's 
I know there's the gear shift. Like shift adapt has this has this way to try to shift you down to decrease your heart rate. There's just straight up diaphragmatic breathing. There's different positional statuses. There's there's different ways to accomplish the same recovery goal and try to decrease your heart rate from the red zone to the blue zone as fast as possible, which is what you're trying to do on the street. If I have a heart strap on, that shows me the metrics of what's best for you. Like we've been doing a lot at fight, at fight ready with my athletes is sitting on the ground. That's going to stack diaphragm over diaphragm and increases diaphragmatic activation, which allows your lungs to expand more to bring more air in versus sitting on the stool. We did that and we can show that that is actually a better metric based off of the heart strap that you are wearing, because we can show round one, you were sitting on the stool like this round two, you're sitting on the ground like this. This is you're already increased into your heart red zone. You're starting not from from cold, from warm a little bit in round two, and you still were able to drop more in your recovery. So that dictating right or that piece of equipment right there is almost invaluable in training yourself on how to recover. It's a sport specific recovery modality that it's going to cost 70 bucks, but because some athletes need to do in through the nose, out through the mouth. Some athletes need to do power, power breaths where you go, <gasps> some athletes need to do a breath hold everybody's different based around what their body does, right? There's no one right way to breathe. We just know we have to activate your diaphragm and we need to find what works best for you and we have general practices. That heart strap allows us to figure out how to personalize those general practices to best suit you. Yeah, it would be interesting too. That's an interesting intersection of like what position you get the most heart rate recoverability from in the corner. Because um, what I've read in a couple of research studies, it's not always necessarily like the position that dictates it, but it's what you're consistent at, right? So it's yep. like finding the right the position for you. Like for one athlete, it might be the stool versus the other athlete, it might be sitting on the ground. So it, yep. it'd be interesting to trial those things through camp. And now we have some <laughs> actual reflective data on is this work or is this actually a better decision? So that's the next thing too, is it the heart rate strap can guide our training going forward. Um, we see these returns on the metrics. We can see what we're trending towards, you know, all right, my athletes becoming more efficient. They're getting a lot deeper heart rate recoverability between sets. All right. Now I can add some more intensity or this athlete's getting really explosive, but they're not recovering in between reps. We need to dial back and work on some of that aerobic fitness. So the numbers in and of themselves give us a general trend of where you're going, but then we can interpret those better to determine training on the back end of it too, which will help your strength coach exponentially in their programming. Right. Like it's, it's one of those things that if I have, it, it's great for pacing. It's great for the percent of perceived exertion from a conditioning standpoint. Like I've been doing a lot of threshold work with one of my athletes and keeping him around that 80 to 85% to try to boost that aerobic threshold up. We've been doing that consistently for a six week cycle. But guess yeah. what? If I don't have that heart strap right there, I don't know what his 80 to 85% is. I can see a, a valuable metric real time as he's going and I can tell him, hey, you need to slow down. Hey, you need to speed. Maybe he's going too light that day. I can see that on his phone and then I can say, hey, hey man, I got. I need you to pick up the pace. Or maybe he's going at 100% and I know if he's going at 100% for the, for the written rep sets, reps and time for seven and a half minutes. There's yeah. no fucking way he can go 100% for seven and a half minutes. So then I need to tell him to slow it down because that's going to help us dictate pacing in a fight if we're doing this in a mixed modal setting, which a lot of these different, it's great for the circuit training where if we're doing different modalities that are going to simulate a fight or simulate yeah. sports specific 
techniques, we can train heart rate zones while they're doing that and allow them to try to increase their pacing strategies. Yeah. And I really like like a spin bike or air bike to execute some of this more targeted training with the heart rate, because once you have numbers, if you have individualized numbers, great. If you have the general numbers, we can still go off of those. And we can really, like you said, target the threshold. One thing I use it for is targeting a fat loss or a fat burning zone, right? Because again, once you get your numbers, if you can get them, there's going to be a switchover point where your body changes from using fat and oxidating fat to supply energy to where we get into a higher intensity. Now we have to utilize carbs because they're a quicker energy source. So there is that crossover point that happens on each person is pretty individual, but in general, you can ballpark it around 125 to 145. Austin, would you say that's fair? Yeah. But one of the biggest tools I use during an athlete that has to cut a lot of weight during a camper has to lose a lot of weight is after we do a strength session or something, we always just hop right on the bike and we can say, all right, target 20, 30 minutes at this heart rate. And that'll help us boost a little bit of their weight loss or a little bit of their calorie burn. So it help us determine what energy substrate you're using and how is the best way we can manage weight on the back end, just like Austin said with the calories. So if you're targeting a little bit more weight loss, then you can add that bike in after a lift, after a workout, because that'll add up to your 90 minute aerobic type of workout, right? So adding that in at the back end, making sure your heart rate doesn't get too high because that's a common mistake we always make with our LSD work, our long, slow distance and aerobic work is everybody jacks the number way through the roof. If you're on a run and your heart rate is consistently 185, you're probably running too hard. Yes. So keep that heart rate like 135 ballpark will help you maximize the fat oxidation, helps you burn fat, which is the goal not to just use up all our carbs. Diving into different metrics. I love the combination of a polar polar strap and an order ring. I think that's one of those things that's extremely easy. Both of them put together is going to be pricey. Like it's going to end up being around 450 plus. I think Aura has a membership now that might be 10 bucks a month. I'm not sure on that one. Um, But training, showing readiness scores and showing your resting heart rate and showing your sleep scores and Aura is just been proven over and over again through what people are saying to be the most reliable on that side of things that gives me an easy metric of hey do i need to change anything in the microcycle of today's programming or hey do i need to call your coach and say hey, he needs to just drill today and not spar stuff like that and then on top of it the polar can then just automatically adapt in or or pair up with the aura and vice versa so then it can track in the calories burned it can track in all these different things in training load into one fine-tuned kit or into one fine-tuned dashboard and that's what that first beat does really well too um but that's that's still in like the, be- the beginning stages of everything but for the most part if i could say just as two things to get it'd be an aura ring and a polar strap wear the polar strap as much as you can in every single workout and wear the aura ring every single night to go to sleep at and then you can track if you're going to get sick. Your resting heart rate's going to spike if you're going to get sick, like out of nowhere. Your sleep's going to be shitty. You can see, hey, um, how restful is my sleep? Hey, what's my recovery score? Am I, am I sleeping enough? Am I going to sleep at different times or waking up at different times, which is going to affect your recovery score? And then on top of it, if we can train, track your training, training load, calories, all these different things, that is almost foolproof from a strength coach standpoint of, 
I have all of the information needed to make a finely tuned program to make you the best athlete I possibly can. Yeah, the real-time feedback is huge on that as far as your sleep score and your recovery. And you can see that within the workout too, and the heart rate strap will give you a little bit of that ordering feedback, right? If like if you're a person I know has trouble getting into the red, and then we do one set of high intensity stuff, you jump up to the red, that can give me an indication or for whatever reason, your body is kind of on alert today. Maybe you're not that ready to go. Maybe you're getting sick. Maybe you did three red days in a row. You can get some of that feedback from the heart rate strap just itself. But the aura ring is like the gold standard of seeing your recovery score, seeing your sleep scores, um, which sleep is just increasingly, increasingly more important as we get through with our training. It's hard. The making the determination of how to switch up your microcycle. So how to switch up your day or week of training is a very interpretation based metric for strength coaches, right? So the more evidence or the more input we have to make those, to those daily decisions, I think will be a benefit. Um, I mean, it can only be because whether you like it or not, your strength coach is going to modify your workout just based on how you walk in the door, based on what's your body language based on, are we ready to go today? Is today a good day to push versus are you kind of dragging ass? Like what do we need to do either extra to get you going or do we need to pull shit out because we're trending in the wrong direction? So getting the sleep score, getting that stuff. And Austin, where do you sit on the whoop? Cause I know a lot of athletes get on the whoop and fuck <laughs> a whoop. Okay. Look, they got a, a pretty UI. Their user interface is beautiful. As far as reliability, every single person I've talked to that that knows what they're talking about has said that it's extremely poor reliability. So don't, and I don't like, I think their subscription's like fucking 40 bucks a month. Like it's, it's ridiculous at that point. Just, you, I'd rather use an Apple. I think the Apple Watch had better reliability. I'm not going to lie. On well, the test I saw. Yeah. What I think about Whoop, I kind of think they're like the, the Walmart brand or like the Kroger <laughs> brand. Like, yeah, yeah. Like done well enough to be the, most widespread thing widespread thing but not actual great numbers right it's it's okay for general population but it or if you're say you're a recreational recreational jujitsu whoop is 100 percent okay but if, if we're talking about the, the the top level athlete don't go with that one I, <laughs> point blank don't go with that one go with the other yeah. shit that we know is reliable but it is better than nothing if you want metrics to track your sleep, if you want metrics to track your workout. Like if you're trying to take fitness more serious, then that's a totally a fine thing to use. I just think it's overpriced for what you're getting. Yeah. And and that gets into a little bit like I was talking about my wa- my watch tracking my heart rate and the whoop tracking your heart rate. It is there is a bona fide difference between the heart rate tracking from the wrist to the arm to the chest. I think it's like twenty beats. Uh, right. Don't quote me on that. I don't remember. Um, and it's different per, but I, th- I think it's 15 to 20 beat difference. From- which is, which is a pretty large swing. Maybe it was 15, 20%. That, that's what it was. It was 15 to, per- to 20% difference. Um, potential. Difference. Oh yeah. Which is even which is bigger. Lot. That's a whole yeah. Thing. Yeah. So wearing the heart rate on your chest is a lot more valuable than wearing it on your wrist per se. Like, yes, you can wear your Apple watch during your workout and you'll get some metrics back, which are better than none. But Having the the chest strap is really a lot more reliable and a lot more valuable data. Um, yeah, man, I, I hardly trust my watch anymore. I did the worst thing. I got a new Garmin watch for back for my birthday or whatever, and it tracks this uh, all my biometrics, the steps, all this stuff, and it has GPS planned in it and shit. 
And then I saw a study like a week after I got the watch and Garmin scored the lowest on sleep <laughs> scores. And I was just like, God damn it. Now I can't use this at all. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I know it's still valuable <laughs> data, but like it's in the back of my head. It's like, that shit's not reliable though. Yeah. But it is better than just waking up and being like, Oh, you're great <laughs> today. Oh, trying man. to fake it. Some people are good at that. Some people have that kind of natural feel and realness in them, but majority my, of us suck at it. <laughs> here's my biggest pet peeve is sure. when athletes invest this money into all these different wearables. And then it tells them they're in the red zone when they wake up. They're like, Oh, that thing's full of shit. I'm like <laughs> why? Why did you invest all this money into this software or into this hardware or into whatever to not even listen to it? I understand that you know your body, which is always the response. But you want to know who else knows your body? The fucking thing that that is its sole purpose on this earth to do. But that's that's an interesting point, too, because a lot of athletes will get these wearable things, not really buy into them, and then say they're unreliable, and then not be consistent with them, and then fault the device, you know? Like... If you're going to rely on these metrics, the more consistent and the more, um, I guess, um, professional you can treat them, the better, right? If you do the aura ring every night before you sleep, it's going to take that month to build your sleep profile and then it can give you accurate feedback. If you wear it every other night or two or three times a week and this and that and super variable context, it's not going to be able to build out a good picture for you. If you wear the heart rate... This is another pet peeve of mine. Only wearing the heart rate when you're in camp. That's the silliest thing. Like, you know, you're going to spike your intensity when you're in camp. You know, you're going to be under a lot of stress. You know, you're going to get probably the worst heart rate scores you get most of the time in camp. But we have no reference data. So maybe we just think you're fucked. We just think you're out of shape the whole time. That's not real. You know, so, so where the heart rate, the more consistent you can be with this, the more we can build a you profile versus just a, Whenever you wear the device, then you're going to get more reliable numbers. What, what I tell what I tell my athletes is treat it like a coach. Like, would you question? Uh, I, I know for the most part, 99% of my athletes they walk in and I tell them like, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it." And they're like, "All right, let's go." That thing that you bought, its sole purpose is to try to help you. What the fuck does it get? It's I say it all the time. Yeah. What the fuck does it get by telling you the wrong thing? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So. Treat it like a coach. Just just listen to it. And if you have questions, obviously, like here and there, it's fine to question that. But for the most part, it's a coaching relationship. It's just the coach happens to be technology, right? Now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I say all this, but then I definitely get stubborn and frustrated too and just go work yeah, out I anyway. I know. I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> As salt of the earth people where this technology can't, can't ever determine how I feel. Well, look, and I am the first one to say it. Also, people take it way too far sometimes where they're like they're trying to track every single little thing and everything needs to have a metric and they get stuck. And if if it says they woke up in 66 percent recovery, they Mm -hmm. can't do any. And that's just wrong, too. Like Gordon Ryan talks about it. Like everybody thinks he's fucking crazy when he when he says he trains 365 days a year. But just because you go into a gym doesn't mean you have to push at 100 percent. Yeah, like. You can still you could wake up at sixty six percent recovery and you can go hit the bag like that's that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to go fucking spar. You have to you don't have to go to a ten out of ten wrestling practice. You can still go do something. You can move your body in a way that is beneficial and it's going to accelerate recovery while also focusing on tech, technical aspects of your sport. It's 
when people take the recovery status, when people take the, the tech too far, it actually hurts them just as much as if you're not. It's just you're using that as a cover-up to undertrain versus typically people that don't rely on the tech or say it's bullshit are you, are saying that because they want to overtrain. It's just the yeah. two separate sides. And that gets really difficult. I think it's like a lot of things. It's got to be based on the individual because just as much as following a plan or being a lot more structured is kind of like a personality trait, like being able to free flow and adapt on the spot based on your recovery score is a skill in itself as well. Like I know a lot of athletes are black and white. Like if I'm showing up to the gym, I'm going right. And that's the only way they know how or ever have done it. Um, I think there's a fine line there as a coach is like, do we accept the behavior and, and coach the athlete the best we can, or do we try and make the modification to the behavior? Because some athletes just point blank aren't going to change. And I think that's yes. become some of the more um, like relational or psych, um, psychological coaching that you do versus some athletes, either whether they're young, whether they just change their um, routines relatively frequently, will change the behavior. And so as, as a coach, it's like, okay, this guy is struggling to follow his recovery score, follow his numbers from the aura or heart rate. Maybe I just tell him not to come in today, take the day off, right? Versus this other kid comes in and he's a bit more impressionable. Hey, I still need you to come get some work in. You're not going to do the full intensity of practice. I know that's going to kill you, but this is what's best for you. You need to uh, trust the process and rely on these things as they're here to guide you, right? So it's a, a different approach based on the individual in front of you and how you can coach them into it. Yeah, for sure. But that, I mean... <laughs> that goes to every single other talk we've ever had of get to know your athletes and, and actually build relationships with them. Yeah. And I don't want to dive down that. Oh God. We've talked about that a ton, but yeah, man, I think that's, there's a lot of value point blank. There's just a lot of value you can get out of the heart rate uh, measurement stuff. And I have one, I haven't worn it in three or four months. Don't tell anybody. That's very true. I need to, but sometimes I want to feel like one. Yeah. <laughs> How's your jujitsu going? Good, dude. Um, I got fucked up. Not this this week, but the last week. I went up against a guy who's, a, I think he's a brown belt. I only do no gi, so I don't really know what belts people are. Mm -hmm. I just asked them how long they've been doing it. And I don't ever like to start on the feet because I don't, I don't need to show that I can out-wrestle people that have never wrestled. That's a waste of my time. I'm there to get better. I'm there to learn. And this guy used to wrestle. He wanted to go on the feet. I started on my ass anyways. I said, fuck that. Um, and then we scrambled up to our feet. I had a slick duck under. That shit was sexy. And then I got subsequently choked in seven seconds. <laughs> and then heel hooked. And then uh, Darst. Basically, nice. it was... I hit So one every cool bad wrestling, wrestling position you could get into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, I hit one cool wrestling thing, and I'm like, see, this is why the fuck I don't need to wrestle it. Uh -huh. Because I start feeling myself, and then I, re I forget about, oh, shit, I can get choked. <laughs> Very true. So, yeah. so, but I am learning a lot. I am keeping a notebook um, where I was, I tried doing the, the record audio thing that we had talked about in the past and it's, it was fine. But for me, because I am such a, um, like a flow chart guy, mm. I like to write out the flow charts instead. So I keep a notebook of flow charts of, of what we went over that day. Like we're, we're 
doing a passing a passing guard situation into like Z like Z guard or two mounts and then following through subsequently to different finishes. So I've wrote down my entire flow chart or my spider web and then can this connects here and this connects here, this connects here and these two steps can potentially go together. And that's been helping a lot is my comprehension of what's going on. Cool, man. Cool. Sounds fun. Uh, I haven't been doing jujitsu that much recently. I probably did two or three sessions in the last month or so. I've just been Got that blue belt bu- curse. busy working out too much. No, I'm not going away. Just fall schedule with work has been dumb. But, um, but yeah, I got to get back to it um, here relatively soon. And I, I just got some tattoos, so I don't want to roll around with those yet. Yet. Because knowing me, I will get every skin infection that there's ever been. So. Yeah, yeah, you have weak skin. For such a strong person, you have very weak skin. Tougher than yours. That's not true. Very much so. You have, you have like... <laughs> Good observation. All right, do the outro. Give it to the people. If you guys got to get in touch with us, all of our information is going to be in the show notes. Uh, either DMs or emails work best, typically. Uh, we'll get back to you within the day. If you need any strength conditioning programs, uh, any sort of low back programs, or we are going to start doing a mobility membership as well. Alex doesn't know this, so I'm telling you in real time. Um, so, And this is all going to be available in our app, which should be available by the time this episode gets launched, which is about three weeks from now. So look for end of of October, the app to be developed and ready, and it should be good to go. Where we'll have a daily mobility m- membership as well as strength conditioning programs and some different courses for you. Um, as always, this is Dr. Oscar Chain, Alex Friedman. We are-